Amen. All right. Hey, anybody here ever want to be a policeman or a detective? Really? A couple of you? Anybody in here are one? Well, hopefully you didn't have to go through this procedure, but let's take a look. Uh, one day there was a, a policeman. He was testing out uh, three guys who were trained to become detectives, right? Life uh, dream, Bobby, here it comes, right? Maybe you have to go through this. And so to test their skills in recognizing a suspect, because that's what you got to do, he shows this first guy a picture, right, of the suspect. He holds it up for a few seconds so the guy can stare at it, stare at it, and then he hides it. And he says, this is your suspect. How would you recognize him? And the first guy, he goes, that's easy. <laughs> we'll catch this guy fast, man, because he's only got one eye. And the policeman, he says, well, hello, he only has one eye because the picture shows his profile. It's a side view. That's one side of him. <laughs> so he's a little bit flustered, the police officer, at this, and this ridiculous response. So he, he flashes the picture for five seconds to the second guy. Stare at it. Look at it. Look at it. All right, this is your suspect. He says, uh, how would you recognize him? And the guy says, aha. He'd be too easy to catch, John, because this guy only has one ear. Well, the police officer in anger, he says, what's the matter with you two? Of course he only has one eye and one ear showing because it's a picture of his profile. What's wrong with you? So he goes, he's really frustrated, right? And so he goes to finally the third and final guy, and he says in a real testy voice, he holds up the picture, he says, this is your suspect. How would you recognize him? Right? And so the third guy, he looks at the picture intently for a moment. He goes, hmm, the suspect, he wears contact lenses. Yeah, and the policeman, he, he's surprised. He's actually kind of speechless because he doesn't even know himself if the, the guy wears contacts or not. And so he said, well, that's an interesting answer. Wait here for a few minutes. I'll, I'll go check the file. And so he leaves the room and he goes into his office. He, he checks the guy's file there and he comes back smiling. He goes, wow, I can't believe it. It's true. The, the suspect does, in fact, wear contact lenses. Great work. How are you able to make such a discerning uh, observation? And the third guy says, it's easy. He can't wear glasses because he's only got one eye and one ear. <laughs> Man, come on. <laughs> How many guys would say those guys, I don't care, they're not going to make it as detectives? Or at least hope they don't. At least not here in Vegas. We need some good help. But, uh, but, but what was the problem? They thought they had what it takes to be a good detective, right? Woo! At least they lined up to try. What was the problem there, man? They were lacking in some serious discernment skills. They couldn't even discern a simple profile of a criminal. Now, the problem is this, folks. The same thing, believe it or not, is happening spiritually to you and I in the American church today. Okay? And the same problem is this. We are not discerning of a criminal behavior that is taking place every day around us. You know what that is? It's when we walk around acting like practical atheists. You talk about a criminal behavior. It's like you would think we'd be able to discern that's not a good thing to do. And what are we doing? We say we believe in God, right? Of course, you've got to answer that one right. But half the time with our lips and our lives, what are we doing? We're walking around living like God's not even a part of the equation. He doesn't even exist. Okay? And, and what's the problem? People are watching us. And so it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps people from believing in God. Okay? They're watching us. Okay? Not just the side profile either. The whole thing. Okay? We need to lead them uh, to Christ. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by apparently not knowing who God is, we're going to get back to our study. Hello, once again, from the Word of God. Let Him define who He is. Okay? From His Holy Word uh, on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. He's what? Hello, He's real. We're here for a real reason. It's not a pipe dream. It's really real. The second thing, the good news is God stands in the backside of Pluto just staring at us. Are you kidding me? Jesus died on the cross, not for a stale man-made religion. We got enough of that baloney. He died for a personal, loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with you and I, his creation. It's absolutely amazing. The third thing, God is what? He is wise. He knows it all. He never gets it wrong. So why in the world would you go anywhere else 
including man's wisdom, uh, when you need advice and truth. The fourth thing, hello, God is sovereign. He not only controls all things, but he works all things together for good for those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Guess what? You got a promise. I got a promise from God. He's going to work it all, even the hard times. Hello, out for good. You can go to sleep at night, enjoy his peace. The fifth thing we saw, he is powerful. God cannot just do some things. He can do whatever in the world he wants within his character. He can fix any problem. He can save any soul. It's just absolutely amazing. There is always hope when God is on the throne. Last time I checked, He's always on the throne. So, hey, woo, it's good news. And speaking of his throne, we saw the sixth thing is God's what? On that throne, he is holy, he is holy, he is holy. It's the only attribute in Scripture repeated three times for emphasis, right? It's like the ladies' tea, right? I already announced it once, but guess what we're having, Lord willing, next week? The ladies' tea. And did you know what we're doing, Lord willing, next week? The ladies' tea. Why? Because repetition increases remembrance, and that's what God says of all. Hey, I want you to know me. I want you to know every bit of me that I have recorded for you my word. But uh, you might want to really get this one. I am holy. I am holy. I am holy. Explains everything else. Okay? And you can't really appreciate this next one that we've been on until you first understand that one. And the one that we've been on the last three times is God is love. Now, that's important, again, by distinction. God is not loving. God is not lovable. The scripture says God is love itself. So that means everything he does, everything he does is an absolute perfect act of love. Okay, it's just like a big, we've been seeing a big, huge diamond with multifaceted sides. Okay, and we've been taking a look at those different facets, and we're going to take a look at another one today. So far, we saw that God demonstrates He is love itself by giving us mercy and compassion, and last time by giving us kindness. The scripture also calls it loving kindness. And there we saw out of loving kindness, get this, God accepts us sinners just as we are. Anybody glad about that? You didn't have to clean up your act, He just takes you as you are, man, all messed up. And, uh, and he takes you as your butt. What's he do? Then he turns us into saints and he adopts us into his family. He turns us into his sons, into his children. Isn't that amazing? Intimate terms used by God. He is not some far off God on the backside of the universe hoping things are going to work out with us. He has an intimate relationship. He adopts us into his family by his love. Okay, but that's not all. We're going to take a look at another facet, and this is the one. Gave you a little hint before. The fourth way God demonstrates his love is he gives us graciousness. I love that picture, don't you? If you're ever at that point, man, you just, here comes Jesus, man. He grabs you, pulls you up, his grace. And we're going to see it's not just grace to get us saved. It's even beyond that. God is love because he gives us graciousness. But let's take a look at that classic passage, one of them, Ephesians chapter 2. Open your Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the context there of chapter four, or two, chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4. We're going to start with verse 4 there. And uh, we're going to take a look at grace, God's grace. That's one of those Christianese phrases, isn't it? Okay. And, uh, but let's take a look. What does that look like? Okay. God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word. Here's what God says to you and I, but because of his great what? Love, this is an aspect of God's love. God who is rich in mercy, boy did we ever see that, made us what? Alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. How many guys would say, you look discerning, and not just one side of the profile. <laughs> How many guys would say that dead people don't do much? You know what I'm saying? You ask them a question, for some reason they don't respond. Hopefully not, right? You ask them, go, hey, let's go play baseball. You know, they don't get up and, no. We were spiritually dead. Man, we, there was nothing, we, we're, we're toast. Okay, Chrome translation. We, when we were spiritually dead, he made us alive in Christ. It's why, because it's what? 
It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He says it again. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved. Okay? Through faith. And this is what? This is not from yourselves. You didn't do it. It's the what? It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. Nobody's going to get to heaven. Hey, God, it's a good thing I'm here because you need to let me in. I'm so, are you kidding me? No one's going to boast. It's purely a gift from him, his grace. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You may be seated, okay? And I love that passage there. Sometimes we stop at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but it's by grace that we are saved through faith. Keep reading. After you get saved, what's God do? He's prepared what? Some good things, amazing things to do on behalf of him. You're not saved because of your works, but he saves you to do good works. Okay, don't get those two things uh, confused and certainly don't get them out of order. But what we see here in our text, this is a classic passage. I wanted to get the whole context there, not just the two verses. Okay, but the Bible says that nobody is getting to heaven because we're so wonderful. Amen? Okay, nobody's getting to heaven because we're perfect or because we deserve to get there. We got there by pulling up our own bootstraps. It says right there, we get there purely by the grace of God. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's simply offered as a free gift. If you had to do something to earn it, then guess what? It wouldn't be a gift. It'd be a wage. But the scripture says, what do we deserve for our wages? The wages of sin is what did we earn? death we deserve to die and go to hell and god knows that so he's gracious he is love itself he expressed that merciful act of kindness that gracious and says you know what i know you need to go to hell you deserve to go to hell it's impossible to for you to reverse your eternal state you know what i'm going to do i'm going to shower you with my grace and i'm going to give you a gift that you can't earn nothing i'm just it's just right here all you gotta do is receive it wow that's pretty gracious amen Okay, that's what it is. We are saved by God's grace, okay? Now, let me give you another definition of that. I love this one. Grace, God's grace, listen to this. His free gift of giving everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Isn't that good? I'll read that again. God's grace is his free gift of giving everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Isn't that good? Well, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us his grace, okay? But here, that's only half the story, okay? That's just a little lead-in. And, and we're usually familiar with that, hopefully, that you don't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's purely by the grace of God, amen? And we receive that gift of salvation by faith, right? Since we can't earn it and since we weren't there and we accept God at his, his word, okay? But, but that's only half the story when it comes to understanding the graciousness of God. What you got to understand is that God not only gives us grace to get saved. Listen, Christian, have you realized this one yet? God continues to give us his grace after we're saved do you understand that it took me probably three years growing up as a christian before i realized that i'm not the one who lives the christian life and if you're still there man that's a frustrating existence it is the grace of god who gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do the good works in advance it's not you trying to do it in your own strength if you could live like christ in your own strength then why do we need christ think about it God gives us his grace not just to get saved. He continues to give us his grace after we're saved. And the reason why is because if, listen, even though we should live for God, even after all that he's done for us, God knows that we can't. And see what he does? Boom! He nukes us on the spot, sends us straight to hell. Let's close in prayer. No, he doesn't do that. Are you kidding me? Praise God he doesn't do that. He could, but he doesn't. 
Even though we know we should be obedient to him and serve him and love him, after all he's done, namely saving us from hell, God knows we can't. So he gives us the grace so we can. Isn't that mind-blowing? Absolutely mind-blowing. And we're going to take a look at three aspects of that today, okay? The first way that God reveals his graciousness, okay, that he's a gracious God, is that he gives us the ability to obey him when we can't. Isn't that what we do spiritually, kind of like that look? How many of you guys ever got that look from your kid, right? And, and you want to make an impression upon them as a parent, like that, right? In a godly sense, right? It's just, mm. well, folks, we do that even, unfortunately, as Christians, right? Let's take a look at this text here. This is what's mind-blowing. It's not you trying to do it. It's God giving you the ability to do it. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Dearest friends, you are Always, Paul says, so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. Uh, and, and now that I'm away, he says, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with what? A deep reverence and a fear. Why? Because here's the truth, man. It ain't you. God is who? God is working in you, giving you the what? Desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. What? So I can't even take credit for that. Yeah, when he said there, nobody's going to boast before me, nobody's going to boast before me. Even the things, if we have the privilege, and hopefully and prayerfully, we have treasure to lay at the feet of Christ. Guess who gets the credit for that? Even he does because he gave me the grace. He gave me the power and the desire to obey him in the first place. That didn't come from me. That's of his grace. He gets the glory through and through for the whole thing. Okay, but that's what Paul is saying here in our text. Okay, when it comes to obedience to God, the one who's actually responsible for it is who? God. If you want to know what we're responsible for, it's sin. <laughs> right? But when something actually will stand the test of time for God's glory and honor, i.e., treasure, that came from Him. That was one of those moments in time when we submitted to His Spirit and His Spirit did that work through us to create that piece of treasure, so to speak. The only thing I own down here is my sin. If something's going to stand the test of time, it came from him by his grace. That's what he's saying here. And this is after salvation, okay? And this is what blows me away. Because again, put it, put it back into our lap. You would think that somebody who's been freely saved in the context of us, been freely saved from eternal damnation in hell, would want to obey the person responsible for that, right? Somebody rescues you, you're doomed. I've used this analogy so many times because I used to live there. Uh, Niagara Falls, man, you're, you, you made the mistake, and this happens every year there, believe it or not. People get too close, there's no fence and railing, believe it or not, in certain areas there by the falls, and they get to, hey, doing selfies, plunk. They go into it, and that river is huge, especially right when you get the falls, it speeds up. They go, and people die every year going over Niagara Falls. Okay, but once in a while you hear a story of somebody out of graciousness, they're a tourist just like everybody else. They just happen to say, hey, somebody should not have taken a selfie. And they grab them, and in the nick of time, they pull them out. You pull that person out, and what that person says, oh, man, thank you, man. I know you didn't have to do that, but thank you for being there at the right time. I was doomed. I was going over the fall. I'm going to die. You saved me. And the person says, I tell you what, you know, I, now that you mentioned it, I'm glad that you're thankful, but uh, you know, I really could use some help with, uh, you know, somebody to, you know, watch my dog for me, you know, this weekend. And what if that person that just got rescued says, no, I'm not going to, you know, who, who do you think you are? And let's be honest, that person who asked that question, if you'd watch my dog, what would they be tempted to do? <laughs> Want another selfie? Right? And, and which I'm not recommending. <laughs> but this is what, this is, that's 
us. And that's the game that we play. It's like, are you kidding me? Man, if I said take me out to a I just saved your life. You owe me. God rescued us from eternal, not a weekend, not a year, eternal damnation in hell. And in his word, he says, hey, I want you to get out there and share the gospel. I want to let other people know that I'm gracious like that. I want you to do some other things for me, whatever. And what do we do? Go back to that picture with that girl. Can you imagine the heart of God at that point? Wow. We should naturally do it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What, I obey you? Betcha, God. You saved me from hell. But listen, even after being a recipient of the grace of God, let's be honest, Christian, we still don't want to obey God. Can you imagine the sinfulness of that? Can you imagine how that must hurt God's heart? Can, can you imagine if God treated us the way that we treat him even after being saved? Well, that's right. If, for those of you who can't, I'm here to help you out. Let's see if we can uh, draw that distinction there. What if, right? Hey, what if God couldn't take the time to bless us today because we just couldn't take the time to thank him yesterday? Amen. Do you thank him every day that she saved you from hell? Is that one of the first things out of your mouth when you wake up? It should be. That'll set the pace. Okay, Whew. somebody had to pay the, slap the smile off your face just on that one. Hey, what if God decides to stop leading us tomorrow because we didn't want to follow him today? What if he treated us like that? What if God didn't walk with us today because we failed to recognize, hello, it's his day, it's his life, it's his planet, it's his earth. Hey, what if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for others, being those obedient examples of Christ? What if God took away the Bible tomorrow because <laughs> we just wouldn't read it today, I ain't got time to get... Oh, really? Maybe you should take it away. What if he did that? What if the door of the church sanctuary is closed because we didn't open the door of our hearts to God and what he said to do? What if, what if, what if, listen, what if God wouldn't hear us today because we wouldn't listen to him yesterday? Isn't that the tempting thing to do in marriage or in parenting? Oh, yeah, the silent treatment. You ever do that? Is that? No, we're Christians. We never do that stuff. In fact, we never argue, do we? We just have intense moments of fellowship. Right? Yeah, whatever, right? right? The silent treatment. My favorite thing is the silent treatment. The, the wife has got mad at her husband. She's given silent treatment, and she went, this went on for day one, this went on for day two, and on the third day, he still wasn't just saying nothing, right? And so that even got on her nerves. And so she says, haven't you noticed I haven't talked to you for three days? He said, no, actually, I thought we were just getting along, <laughs> right? So silent treatment backfires. But anyway, I digress. Let's move on. But what if God treated us like that, right? Can you imagine that? Hey, what if God answered our prayers the way we answer his call to service? Maybe we get around to it, got some time. I don't know, we'll see if it fits in the calendar. Hey, what if God met our needs the way we give him our lives? Whew. Starting to appreciate his grace a little. Anybody glad that God doesn't treat us the way that we treat him, even after being saved? It's because he's a gracious, wonderful, awesome God. The facts are we're not just saved by the grace of God, but listen, Christian, we walk, we live, we breathe, we eat, so to speak, the grace of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are immersed in it. And the point is this, if we had any idea... As a Christian, the depths of which God is continuing to be gracious to us, not just getting us saved, but even afterwards, he gives us the power and the desire to obey him. When you think it'd be natural. When you finally get that, man, it gives you the ability to obey God. I don't care how hard the circumstance is. Like this guy, this is a true story. David McAllister, he's blind. 
He's a 77-year-old ex-convict who 22 years ago, true story, he kidnapped a 10-year-old boy named Chris Carrier, shot him, okay, left him for dead in the Florida Everglades. Although blinded in his left eye by the bullet, Chris survived. The boy survived, 10 years old. However, David McAllister, he escaped, and for more than 20 years, the case went unsolved. Until, listen, at the time of this, last fall, when a distraught McAllister, his frail body bedridden in a Miami nursing home, listen, he finally confessed to the crime. And after learning of the confession, Chris Carrier, now 22 years old, okay, 32 years old, he visited McAllister at his nursing home. But listen, Chris went in there because, boy, was he going to give it to him. True story. Listen to this. Chris, he goes not in anger or bitterness, rather in obedience to God. He went to pray with his would-be murderer and share the good news of how Jesus has transformed his own life. Wow. That's a Christian. I don't know about you, but let's be honest. If most of us were old Krista, the last thing we'd want to do is just, woo, look at his way. I heard the news. Let's go. To go off and share the love of God with the person, listen, who really did, true story, try to kill you. And yet, what did Chris do? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Here's the good news. God is not like you and I. Oh, man, praise God, he's not like you and I. He's gracious. And out of graciousness, he only came to save us from our sins. Listen, he came to give us the ability to live a life that pleases him like Chris. Even to the point where you would be willing to share his love with other people, listen, including people who tried to kill you. Why would God want us to do that as his children? Because you know what? Who's responsible for the death of his own son? Whose sin put it on him on the cross? So in essence who had a part in the murder of his own son. So is he asking us really something out of the ordinary? No. That's obedience to God. We all know we should do this willingly in the context because God saved us from hell, but listen, God knows that we can't. So you know what he does? You're going straight to hell. You're going straight to hell. You're not stopping 200. You're not getting 200 bucks. Stop. No. He knows we can't. And instead of nuking us on the spot, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the grace so you can. Isn't that mind-blowing? That's God. That's love. That's his graciousness. Grace is not extended to us just up to the point of salvation. He keeps giving it to us every day, even giving us the ability to obey him. Absolutely mind-blowing of God. The second way that he reveals his graciousness is God gives us the ability to serve him when we won't. Okay, let's take a look at this passage here from 1 Corinthians. Boy, we put our, hey, hey, it's time to help out. We kind of do that, don't we, sometimes, unfortunately. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1, 4, and 6, uh, through 6, and 11. And now, dear brothers and sisters, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I will write about the special abilities or gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. So who gives them? The Holy Spirit. God's the one that gives. For I must Correct your misunderstandings about them. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who what? Who's the source of them all? Who gives them? Once again, the Holy Spirit. God is the one who gives them. There are different kinds of service in the church, of course, but it's the same Lord we're serving. We're all part of the body. We all get different gifts. It's all important, but it all comes from God. It's all for God's purposes. 
Right? It's what he's basically saying. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it's the same God who does the work through all of us. He alone, a third time, he, God alone, decides which gift each person should have. And I've said this, I don't know how many times you take a look at that, not just with the gifts. He goes into different kinds of gifts, right? You deal with that in Romans and, and Corinthians and Ephesians, okay? But how many times you hear people say, hey, come to this conference and pray and fast 15 years for all this secret thing to get this gift? Are you kidding me? First of all, you get your gift at salvation and or gifts. And who gives them? You can, it's God. You can sit there and pray and fast and follow this 18-step technique. You're not getting nothing else than what he already gave you. The point is you need to discover what gifts he gave you and get busy doing it. Amen. Right? Is the whole point there. But it comes from God. Listen, God gives us, listen, when it comes to serving, even that, not just obeying. Now we're talking serving him in the church. Who's the one responsible for it? He said it three times there. It's him. He's, God not only gives us gifts to serve him, he alone decides which gifts we get to serve him with. I mean, isn't that awesome? He doesn't wait around for us. It's, it's amazing. And again, you put it back in his context. You think it's somebody who's been freely saved from what? Hell. Eternal damnation in hell. Wouldn't that just say, hey, not only will I watch your dog, what else you got for me to do? You know what I'm saying? Well, how about wash your car? What's that? Anything else? What? I'll clean your house. I'll paint your house. What do you want? I'll take you out to eat. What do you want? I want to serve. It's a natural response when somebody rescues you and saves your life. Something I could do for you? That's, now, that's what you would think. But the problem is, even after being a recipient of the grace of God, we not only, unfortunately, play games with being obedient to God, but half the time we don't even want to get around to serving God, right? And you put it in this context, you go, whoa, can you imagine the sinfulness of that? Can you imagine how much that must hurt God's heart? I mean, I mean and, and then, then, if it wasn't that bad enough, even when we finally get around to serving, we still mess it up. We got a rotten attitude. We treat it instead of a privilege. Can you, um, I remember after I got saved, nine weeks after I got saved, um, it was, I got my first uh, job serving. I was helping with the youth. Man, I thought I got born again again, which you can't. But I was just so excited. It was like, man, it just gets even better. You mean to tell me that God could use this wretched life, what he saved me from, and he could still, he could do something with it for the benefit? Whoa! I was so excited. And it wasn't even serving youth. You know what it was? I'm the ex-headbanger dude, right? Banging out the chords. I don't know nothing about Christian music. <laughs> I can't even play kumbaya. I'm nothing. And so I'm sitting there fumbling on the chords while somebody else basically taught youth, but I was supposed to be the co youth I wasn't even doing that, but I was trying. I was doing something, and just my horrible guitar playing was, I was excited. Kids probably didn't like it, but I was excited. I couldn't believe it. God, you could use me. Whoa. And many times, we not only don't want to serve God, but we get around to serving God. And what's our attitude? Oh. Oh, here comes Bill again. He's going to ask me to do something. Stack chairs or something. <laughs> the fact that God will use us to do anything for his glory and honor for the benefit of other people is a privilege. The word we use is ministry. But see, that's the attitude check we need to have. What we're doing for Christ, is it a job or is it a ministry? Let's take the acid test. Hey, if it's a job, if you do it because no one else will, that's just a job. But if you're doing it to serve Jesus Christ, who are you doing it for? It's him. Hey, that's a ministry. Hey, if you do it just enough to get by, it, it's a job. If you do it to the best of your ability, that's a ministry. If you quit because somebody criticizes you, that's a job. 
you keep on serving, hey, that is a ministry. If you quit because nobody praised you, well, that's a job. But if you keep on doing it because it needs to be done, that's what God's called you to do. Hey, that's a ministry. Hey, if your concern is just success, that's just a job. But if your concern is faithfulness to Jesus Christ, hey, man, that's a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job. Amen. Amen. But, man, it's impossible not to get excited about a ministry. Come here, kids. Kumbaya. I had fun. It's exciting, man. God can use you. It's great. And you know what? Here's the truth, folks. Average churches are filled with many people doing many jobs. You want to be a great church for Christ? Great churches are filled with many people who are involved in ministry. And it shows, man, when they're out there. People may say, well done when you do your job, but Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful. What servant when you complete your ministry, no matter what people say or do? You just keep plugging away because it's all about him. And it's just amazing that he would even use you in spite of you, okay? God, I'm so glad he doesn't treat us like we treat him. And again, think of the audacity. The same people who have been saved from hell by the grace of God look upon serving him as a boring job. Whoa. Oh, we don't even stop there. Uh, we start making excuses. Because, you know, that's, that's pretty noticeable when you walk around going, ugh, ugh a boring job. Yeah, we can't do that. We've got to be more spiritual. Let me see if it works in my calendar. I'm a busy person, you know. You know, hey, listen, I, I thank you for giving me three months in advance that you're going to have that work day, but uh, I just, man, my calendar is so full, I can't even commit to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. 30 minutes before a basketball game starts. Hey, got a ticket. You want to go? Yep, sign me up. Come on. As if God can't see all this stuff. We make excuses, right? Or, or then we say, you know, well, that's, that's a little too obvious. I, you know, I don't have the time for calendar. Oh, I, you know, you're just going to have to get somebody else, you know what I'm saying? I just, I just, I don't, I'm just not good enough. You got to find somebody more qualified than me. And it's like, let's, can you breathe? Can you pick up a chair? I don't think we need to have classes on chair lifting. Right? <laughs> Come on. It's, a lot of that's excuses that we have. But let's be honest, all humor aside. And I get it. Some people can't pick up a chair. That's not the point of what I'm trying to make. We try to shuffle it off onto somebody else and say, well, there's somebody out there, that other person who has a better skill set. I just can't do a good job. And we try to spiritualize the excuse. The point is, whatever God has gifted you with, don't focus on other people. Just do it. You do it for Jesus, the best of the ability, with what he's given you. That's what pleases him, right? Like this girl. This girl's from Romania. And she's using the gifts that God gave her to be a benefit to other people. If anybody's got an excuse, I think it might be her. Let's take a look.
Just goes up after that, and she uh, she saw her crying, the, the girl, and uh, she hugged her, and she said, "I realized she couldn't hug me back." And then she said, "I realized she couldn't even wipe tears from her own eyes, so she wiped them for her." If anybody's got an excuse, you know what? You you need to get somebody else. I just don't have the ability. I just but what did she do? She figured out a way to use her God-given abilities to sing anyway, even play the piano with a few toes. And God sees the whole thing. And we ain't got time to serve him. Or you better get somebody else. Let me see if it'll fit in the calendar. And he rescued us from eternal damnation in hell. Is anybody glad that God's not like us? And he doesn't treat us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And he doesn't treat us back the way that we treat him. When we understand the depths of God's graciousness, we will serve him no matter what, no excuses. And he'll do amazing, incredible things with it. Like he did with this guy. This is another true story. This is a guy named a Christian, Charlie Hainline from Florida again. Charlie Hainline, he's a layman at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, he's a man, Christian man. If you were to see him today, he radiates the love of Christ. And he is serious about serving God by sharing his faith with other people. In fact, one year, his goal, Charlie's goal, was to serve God by leading 1,650 people to faith in Christ. That's five a day. That's his goal. Every day, I've got to lead five to Christ. And once he was out witnessing with a couple other folks, and, and though he didn't share the gospel, he just sat there at that time, and he just smiled, just being Charlie. 
joyful Christian. The other teammate there was with him, and he was the one that was trying to witness to the person. But listen, when the teammate finished and asked that person if they would like to trust Christ as their Savior, receive the gift of eternal life, the person said this, true story, if being a Christian would make me like him, pointing to Charlie, just sitting there smiling. He says, I want it. Wow. But what you need to understand is that Charlie's life wasn't always full of joy, nor a bed of roses by any means, even as a Christian. His daughter was kidnapped and killed. And her head was found floating in a canal. And when the person who murdered his daughter was caught and convicted, Charlie went to jail. And you know what he did? He shared Christ with them to save them. And if most of us were that, we wouldn't jump up lickety-split and share the gospel in service to Christ to the person who murdered our daughter. Have we forgotten what Christ has done for us? What more does he have to do before we readily serve him no matter what? Isn't hell rescuing us that enough? God is not like you and I, out of graciousness. He not only came to save us from our sins, but he came to give us the ability to live a life that pleases him. We know we should be willing but we don't. So you know what God does? You guys are going, no. I know it. I see it. I see everything. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give the ability to serve me anyway. I, not you, I will not only give you the power and the desire to obey me, I will handpick the specific gifts that you will serve me with by the power of my Holy Spirit. Isn't that wild? We should do it naturally. But God knows we can't, so he gives us his grace. Are you starting to get a feel for his graciousness, not just getting us saved, but even after? We got one more to go. The third way he reveals his graciousness is he gives us the ability to love him when we don't. There's that sourpuss look again. <laughs> Spiritually, we do that as Christians, man. <clears throat> right? Let's take a look at this. Where does this fact listen to even love God back? Where does that come from? Can we at least lay claim to that? No. Scripture is very clear about that, believe it or not. 1 John 4, 16, 17, 19 says this, and John says, and we know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, and we rely on the love God has for us. Amen? <laughs> yeah, you betcha. God is love. Not loving or lovable. He is love itself. Whoever lives in uh, love lives in God, and God in him. Why? Because God is love. That's your acid test, right? In this way, love is made complete or mature among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like the world. We're like who? We're like him. We're like God. And you know what, Christian? Deal with this. This is the fact. We can't even lay claim to this. We love because we're so incredible. It just oozes out all over us. Just poke me and watch it squirt all over you. Blah, blah, blah. Are you kidding me? We love because what? God first loved. We can't even lay claim to that. God first loved. When it comes to even loving God, God is the one even responsible for that. No wonder nobody gets before him and boasts. <laughs> I loved you so. No, you didn't. If there was really even an act that you really did do it purely out of love for God, he gets the credit for that. The only thing we own down here is our sins. Okay, God not only gives us his love, but because of his love, we have the ability to love him 
in return. And again, put it in this context, especially this one. I can see the obey thing. I'm not condoning that. I can see the serving thing. I'm not condoning that. But come on, man, being saved from hell, you would think you would love the person that. But once again, even after being a recipient of the grace of God, we not only don't want to obey God half the time, we don't want to serve God half the time and make excuses all the time, but half the times we don't even, we don't even love God, do we? And it shows. Because as the text says, you want to acid test that you love God? Then don't be looking like this world. And John says later, if you could check it out yourself, he says, in fact, I'll give you a strong warning. Do not love this world nor the things of this world. Why? Because he builds onto this and he says, because if you do, the love of the Father's not in you. Stop kidding yourself. You really don't love him. You love this world. So even the ability to love God... He gets the credit for it. And again, you think saving us from hell with natural, just woohoo, right? And in fact, let me let me build, let me give you one more analogy, then we're gonna close. This should, it's it's easy, right? You guys ever have a dog? How many guys got dogs? Right? How many of you guys got cats? We'll pray for you. But <laughs> so so I, I because you get the cat thing out of your head, because this ain't gonna work. You try to use this animal analogy with a cat, forget it. Cats are snooty, cats are sneaky, always leaving surprises and but anyway, don't use the cat. Just think of dogs, dogs, right? Because right? again, we should naturally love God for all he does. Just, a dog, dogs are so awesome. Dogs are cool, right? Dogs, dogs, you, you come home, what do they do? Wow, they go nuts. He's back, right? He's in, I can't believe you're still alive, Ooh, right? What, what's a cat do? Feed me, I am a god, right? Just a little snooty little thing. But anyway, whatever, I don't want to cause a division. <laughs> but dogs are going crazy. Whoa! Right? Have you ever done this? Did you forget something in the car? You got to, I'll be right back. You get, go back. You're gone 30 seconds. You open the door. What's happened? He does it all again. He's back. Dogs are cool. Dogs will do all kinds. They love you. They want to lick. In fact, you won't get a cat to do this, but dogs will even dance with you. They're so, yeah, watch this one. I found one. This is cool. Yeah, how many of you guys want that dog? Isn't that the coolest thing ever? Turn to somebody and say, Ain't no cat gonna do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, but dogs are cool, man. They, they jump on you, they lick you, they kiss you, they wanna be around you, they're glad you're home, they show it, they're affectionate. They're, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You, it, dogs are also loyal. Dogs, they, they've heard stories, dogs, they rescue people from fire, they do all kinds. Dogs have this innate ability to just have that kind of a heart. In fact, watch what this dog did. Okay, not dancing, but this one. This is cool, right? Let's take a look. This is truly amazing. Here's a dog who's been hit by a car trying to cross the road. There he is trying to cross the road, and he gets hit and is now just lying in the middle of this busy highway, and a second dog spots him and tries to get over to him. Now here's the first dog again being hit. He's lying there in the middle of the road, busy time of the highway, and here comes the second dog who grabs him, not by his, with his teeth, but actually gets him with his paws around his neck and drags him in the middle of all this traffic off the road to safety. Little 
by little, inch by inch. Finally, some workers spot the dogs and come over and help them. And by the way, the injured dog lived. You guys going to go out and buy a dog after service now? Let's just close them forever. But the dogs are just, wow. Now, here's my point. Dogs do this inherently, right? Typically, they're just naturally affectionate. They jump on you, whatever. They got this kind of instinct. They want to rescue, save you. It's just, dogs are, they're awesome. They, they love, they serve, they save, they obey their masters, typically, except for wiener dogs, uh, uh, implicitly. <laughs> I know we're getting late on time. i got to share this one with you. We actually, our female, uh, our male dog, Sammy, when we first got him, right? We turned into those. You ever see those people that take these little tiny little punny dogs, right? And they take them with you wherever they go. They turn all weird. Well, we turned into those people before we had kids, <laughs> right? And so Sammy, he was a little disobedient, you know, whatever. We actually, I could not believe it. We paid like 200 bucks to have this guy come over and train our dog. Fix the problem. Train Sammy, our son, Right? <laughs> He goes out in the cul-de-sac that we lived in. He draws this big old giant chalk square. I mean, big old giant chalk square, right? And so I had Sammy on the collar, which we you know, typically didn't do, but he had it on the collar. And so the idea was he was supposed to take him on one part of the square, and the whole time he's going, good dog, good dog, good dog, right? And he'd take him over here, good dog, good dog, good dog, good dog, right? He'd go around this whole square thing. That was the idea, right? We know, we we're going, man, that's, we're laughing. We're going, that ain't never going to work, pal. I want to, this is worth 200 bucks to watch. So... <laughs> Are you kidding me? He wasn't going to be on a leash. Are you kidding me? The whole time, he was like a salmon out of the water. And the guy in the total deadpan faces, my dog literally is flopping like this. He's dragging him on the asphalt, flopping like a fish. He's going, good dog, good dog, good dog. Good dog, good dog. Are you kidding me? He's a bad dog. But typically, most dogs, unlike Sammy, they're good, they're loyal, they're loving, they serve you, and they're obedient to their masters. In fact, sometimes... To their detriment. Listen to this. Very loyal. One guy, he wrote of a day that uh, he met a man, true story, whose dog had just been killed in a forest fire. And obviously heartbroken, the man explained to the guy how it had happened. He says because he worked outdoors, he often obviously took his dog with him. And that particular morning, he left the animal in the clearing, and he gave his dog the command to stay and watch his lunch bucket, and then he went off into the forest. Now, his faithful friend, the dog, clearly understood because that's exactly what he did. Listen, then a fire started in the woods, and soon the blaze spread to the spot where the dog had left, but the dog did not move an inch. He stayed right where he was in perfect obedience to the master's words. And with tearful eyes, listen to what this guy said. He he said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it out of love for me obedience here we have a dog lovingly being obedient to his master even unto death and yet here comes the creepy context here we have God the master of the universe saving us from eternal damnation and hell and frankly we might as well be Sammy Christians flipping flopping are you bucking all the way after all God's done for us. We can't even, oftentimes, Christians, I put myself in here too. As Christians, we can't even love God after all he's done for us like a dog naturally does to his master. Can you imagine the sinfulness of that? Can you imagine how much that must hurt God? And so you know what God does? 
He says, that's it. I'm going to nuke all you guys. You're going straight to hell. I'm starting off. Anybody glad God's not like us? Even this, he knows that we can't do. And so he gives us the grace so that we can. We love because he first loved us. And, and, I, and I, I like that story because I think this is an important thing, this whole sermon for us to get as Christians. Because I think many times Christians, we do get around to serving God and obeying God and saying that we love God, but our love is twisted, if I can use that. Because we look at God as some sort of ogre in the sky that doesn't, and we, he's a tyrant, and if he, we don't do what he says, he And when you understand how loving God really is, Christian, it'll transform how you serve him. Like this lady, and this is another true story. We'll close after this. There was a man who was a tyrant, and he insisted that his wife get up real early every single morning to prepare him breakfast. Uh, He was very demanding uh, with regard to her care to the house. I mean, he required a strict accounting of the money spent on the groceries, the clothes on the children, etc., to keep the house spotless, do all that. And then one day, he died. Yeah, yeah. Well, true story, later she married a man who was just the opposite. He was loving, he was tender, he was considerate, he was unselfish. And one day she was going through some of the papers of her first husband and she found that list. She found that list of all the things that that first husband required her to do. And to her amazement, she realized she was already doing all those things for her present husband without being required to do them. Why? Because she realized she was doing them voluntarily because she loved him. Christ's love, Paul says, compels us. Why do we do what we do as Christians? Why do we not do as we Christians? Not because you have to. Not because we're trying to maintain our salvation. or You can't. Not because God's about to put two. His grace before, his grace after getting saved, that compels me. I just got to love him. I got to serve him. Who wouldn't want to? And when that becomes your motive, then nobody can steer you away from doing what God's called you to do. We have to get to the point where nobody, even in the church, will dictate my walk or service to Jesus Christ. Because I'm doing it for him, because his love compels me. His graciousness, not just before, but even after being saved, he gets all the glory. And when I stand before him, the only thing I own is my sin. If there's something that survives that fire, he gets the glory. No boasting allowed. Let's be those Christians. Let's have the right motive, understanding the fullness of the graciousness of God. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. 
Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.